0: Namaste. When we live on the surface consciousness, we live uh, with an illusion of knowledge and as a result of it, there is an illusion of action. And Sri Aurobindo shows us that we are surrounded by giant ignorance. And what is worse is that we don't even know that what this ignorance is. And he reminds us that the first ignorance is, we do not know the absolute. And this is called as the original ignorance. Meaning thereby we do not know even what is our true origin. Along with this original ignorance, which is um, where we do not know what our origin is. Of course, we have belief system, we have an intellectual, um, you know, that okay, we come from God. But it's not about that. We do not really know in the sense of knowing it. And uh, then we have a cosmic ignorance. We do not know the cosmic being, the cosmic reality, how the cosmos functions, not just about the material processes, that itself is a very vast area, but are there other worlds and what is this whole thing that we call as the universe. And then in the cosmos, we do not know ourselves. We know only a little fraction on the surface and that is the egoistic ignorance. And even with regard to that little fraction on the surface, we know it only in a moment of time. We do not know the past stream and many things that have carried us here and much more that is going to come. Creating a fourth ignorance called as the temporal ignorance. And along with that, we are unaware of all the forces that move us, the multitudinous, um, occult, psychological and various forms of forces that move us and that leads to is psychological ignorance. And then we have if ignorance which is simply because we have got into a form and trapped into it and we are not aware of the constitution of this world, what really creates it, what makes it, what is it built up of. Um, again, not just about material reality, that itself is a huge subject. But at so many levels, with so many building blocks, And that is a constitutional ignorance. And as a result of all this, we have what is called as a practical ignorance. We don't know how to really be in this world, what to do in this world. So, this sevenfold ignorance, the movement towards knowledge starts. We have to pick up one thing. We just can't start straight away that while I am in the surface personality, I will discover the absolute and the origin. Or I will discover the cosmic being. Or I will start discovering uh, what constitutes my existence. It will be by and large, because I am in the surface, the understanding, the analysis, the uh, knowledge will also be very limited. So the first ignorance that we have to get rid of is the egoistic ignorance and discover the if there is a truce individual behind us which can really connect with the universal and the absolute and which can really have an access door to true knowledge and through that understand this world. So this is the basic idea that as long as we are trapped in the ego, there is no hope and no chance. Uh, but the moment the journey starts, when we start coming out of this uh, um, you know, trap to the uh, ego identity, it is not that we have to discard it, but turn it into an instrument for the divine work. We have not to identify ourselves with it. By ego identity is meant that a moments or a lifetime's... Uh, uh, you know, surface personality, which is what the ego is. We pick up a selection from nature, but that is not our identity. That is what nature has constituted, and we can change it, we can modify it as we enter into the subliminal uh, and thereby grow. But uh, so it is not to be thrown aside, but it has to be used itself as an instrument. Uh, for expression of the divine, for discovery, for self-finding, for self-expression in this world. So, the first step is to come out of this egoistic individuality and discover the true individual. So, thereby comes the next chapter which is about the philosophy of rebirth. Why is rebirth necessary if necessary at all? There are, uh, of course, to a materialistic doctrine, there is no soul and there is no rebirth. But there are also philosophies which are not materialistic like Buddhism. So, Buddhism doesn't believe in an individual soul. But the paradox is that it believes in rebirth, it believes in karma. So, how does it happen? So, according to that kind of a doctrine, um, even with the dissolution of the body, the energy knots that we have created, it itself becomes a kind of a formation, uh, you know, around a mental person and it becomes like a formation. And after the body is left this formation takes up another body and tries to fulfill itself. It is moved by desire and so it takes another body, again leaves it, moved by desire, takes another body, goes through the process of suffering until we break the knot and then that knot dissolves. And when that knot dissolves, there is nothing else but nothingness. So this is the Buddhist doctrine. There are many interesting facets of it, but obviously if that is the case, then the entire journey we have undertaken so far of the spiritual evolution, meaning of... God, if any, in creation and cosmos, they all become redundant. So, there is another theory that suddenly in human beings, God breathes a soul. So, you know, it's like uh, in this theory, the soul is uh, basically coming from the higher worlds and uh, at its fancy, it says, chalo, let's go for uh, for a holiday. Let's take a human body and just inhabit it. But the problem there is that while it takes a human body, now there are doctrines, religious doctrines, which don't believe in rebirth. But so how does the soul, if anything, comes into a human body? Well, it seems like it was just having a nice time uh, up with God and suddenly it says, let's animate. And it enters a body. But the problem is, uh, well, if it enters the body, it's trapped in it. And only its belief that, no, 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 there is this creator by this name and in this form, if I trust him then I can be redeemed. But even that day of redemption may come much later. And what is worse is that if it doesn't, then it is trapped forever in some kind of eternal damnation or hell. Naturally, this kind of a populist theory is a very, very primitive one. And mankind is bound to reject it. Uh, Then there are uh, other kinds of theories where they speak of the entire transmigration of souls over a period of time from the animal to the human birth and take human birth as the grand culmination. So here to an extent one can find some kind of a logical necessity of rebirth, that well, we have to travel, the soul is a traveler in time, it takes different bodies, taking a human birth, it is ready for the ultimate release. It again doesn't explain the meaning, why did it enter at all. It also doesn't explain that whether the soul remains unchanged through all this and suddenly one day it is like it was sleeping it wakes up and realizes that it is uh, you know perchance or by mistake or um, like a bond slave it has entered here and wakes up and goes away so again there is no real spiritual evolution of creation here but yes the soul passes through a journey wherein from the animal to human birth and a few human births and then it releases itself in moksha again this leaves many gaps in our understanding so here uh, in Sri view, the soul itself has a reality, it is, there is a true individuality. Now, there is an Advaita Vedantic view where there is a reality of the individual soul. But it is because Brahman has entered into it and got surrounded by ignorance. So, it can remove that ignorance and merge back into Brahman. So, obviously, we have discussed all this. But there is a true individuality of the soul which is our true individual within and it is the means in fact through which there is an evolution from the inconscient taking place with the help of this uh, divine seed which is within. We can take the example of a tree. As the tree grows, it pulls something of the soil upward towards the sun. And in the process transmutes it. So this is exactly how and even from its leaf, there is, you know, water is evaporated, oxygen is generated uh, into the atmosphere, it absorbs that. So something like that, the soul individuality becomes a logical necessity. If we understand that from the inconscient, there has to be an evolution. Each form that is created becomes a habitation for the soul and it grows and as it grows, it pulls something of that inconscient upward, upward, upward and start manifesting newer and greater possibility. So that fills the gap. But there comes this question that is humanity the highest? Well, if we take that, well, evolution has not ended, which is, um, you know, very logical to assume, whether we take the natural scientific view that the evolutionary energy would not stop with such a uh, half um, finished product called man, Uh, At the same time, if we take the spiritual view of evolution, as we see in some of these Puranas where the form and the consciousness changes, like in the parable of the Dashavatar, then again we can say that really speaking, man's spiritual evolution cannot be complete till he really touches the creator in some way or the other. It's not just about being freed from the knot of ignorance, but he must become one with the creator and thereby link the creator with the creation. So we are basically bridges and uh, true individuality, the psychic being in us, is like a bridge that one end of the bridge is cast into the inconscience as it grows. It must eventually join to the Creator and become the bridge. Uh, Mother puts it like this that you know, we are the uh, junction of that quaternary X. So uh, we are cast into this, and as we grow up, creation is pulled upward. So, it's a tremendous work which we our souls have undertaken. And in this process, there is all the divine help which is there with us. Till we reach that junction, which is what supramental is, and the lok and aloke and the this world and the other world, um, this material existence and the spiritual between these worlds of ignorance, the fallen worlds and the greater worlds which have not suffered the fall, they become one. So, then... Rebirth becomes not only a meaningful thing but a necessity because it's only through rebirth. In one life, you cannot become a bridge, it's a, it's a life which the soul has to just recover itself that where it is, where it has come from, why it has come from. So, then rebirth becomes a logical necessity. Thereby comes this other chapter that, well, are there other worlds, the order of the worlds? So, how does it recover? What are the levels, states through which it goes? Now, herein. Um, if we take the scientific view, um, which knows only the material domain and it can discard, it wants to look for material evidence. Now, by its very nature, the supra-physical cannot give physical evidence. Um, It can give physical evidence always indirectly in two ways. One is, if there are supra-physical worlds, they must in some way have some impact upon our life. Then it becomes an indirect evidence. For example, we have seen people who are pushed... Literally on the verge of despair and they want to commit suicide. It's because the hostile dark worlds, the fallen world, they are pushing them, throwing all kinds of suggestions. Now, this is a whole occult side of knowledge till eventually they want to uh, plunge, they are plunged into despair and then they are they cast themselves into the abyss. And they give very neat justifications. They say that this is going to be a release. So I have patients like that where you know somebody says, Sir, is there a way that I can I just want to die? And so I asked them that, why do you want to die? He says that sir, I'll be freed from everything. I said, on the contrary, you will be bound to a dark state. So they will give all kinds of suggestion and pushing one uh, on the verge of despair. And uh, they work in a very, so we know it by the effects on the consciousness. Or they will aggrandize the ego, put blinders over us. So all kinds of tricks they can play. Now, Mother gives a number of examples. One of them is that, you know, that gambler of Monte Carlo, where she says that, you know, he was um, putting things on stake and there used to be this entity which will whisper to him, put your stake on that. Uh, And he would put it and he would succeed. So again, he kept on winning, kept on winning. And it was these suggestions and he took it that, well, um, luck is very favorable to him. Gods are smiling, but it was this adverse entity which wanted to have some fun So, when he had won a lot and then he said, now put everything on stake. And he did it and lost. And then it uh, bid him to commit suicide and he shot himself. So, they, they play a game and these worlds impact our lives in ways which we may not understand, but they can even objectively appear if we develop these senses which are there in the subliminal, of which we have already spoken. Sometimes they can appear in dreams. There are very often people before they fall ill, they can see snakes and such things. But equally there are higher worlds which are beyond the human range, Uh, What we have normally called as gods, and uh, they also impact us. They bring in hope, they bring in beautiful suggestions, they uh, bring faith, they bring aspiration. So, they also have an impact upon our human life in beautiful ways. Now, many people say that these gods, and even God is a construct uh, of the human mind. Well, there is the only truth that we can say is that they are, the gods are not the construct, but the way we, the human mind conceives of them and receives them. So it constructs its own image. So there is a truth of these higher worlds, different worlds, the dark worlds, the uh, higher vital worlds, the mental worlds and spiritual worlds. There is a reality. But it meets the human mind, where the human mind, depending upon its past understanding, if it has read a lot of puranas, it will see the gods in a certain way. It will see the asuras in a certain way. If it sees Yamraj, he will see him sitting on a buffalo. God knows why so much has changed since the time of the buffaloes. So, he will see like that because he is, that's how he has understood. So, there is a part construction of the human mind and uh, where it plays with the reality. Because human imagination has its own role. But it is not that human imagination constructs these worlds and God. Then one might as well say that human imagination has constructed the material world. Then where is the end of the illusion? Uh, everything collapses back into towards nothingness. So human minds also constructs things like hell and heaven. So there is again reality of the worlds, uh, the vital worlds where one can experience uh, where there are real uh, exalted worlds par- like a paradise and where there are real uh, dark worlds where one can transit that he'll describe in great detail in the next uh, uh, chapter but it is also true that human mind has created these worlds by its power of imagination uh, by its certain kind of beliefs so if you read the garud puran which is often read in uh, you know indian thought so you know if you hear the read the uh, description of hell uh, it's very frightening is there a real hell like that well much of it is a construction of the human mind Shurabindu speaks of that and for instance we see in the story of Vishwamitra that he you know uh, created a parallel heaven for Trishanko so there are annexes of these higher worlds created by the human imagination it has drawn something from these worlds as kind of idea force and then added something of its own mind and created these worlds. So human soul can, in its transit, get trapped into one of these, which it is a creation of its own making. I mean, there are people who who feel very guilty and they believe that you know their life is horrible, they are very guilty and they feel that if they are punished, it will be some sort of... Uh, Some sort of, you know, they have redeemed themselves. But none of this is true. I mean, that's not how the divine looks at us. As if he is sitting with a carrot and stick. But they create such worlds where they want to be punished and they feel that this punishment is justified and by this punishment they are being redeemed. Mother gives an example of an individual who for one year had locked himself in such a formation of his own making after leaving his body. And... um, she had to tell him that no, you need not be here. And he said, "No, no, I deserve it." So we must be so careful when we are making formations about these things uh, that we we must admit with humility that we don't know. So let's—it's much better in a way not to believe in hell and heaven than to you know um, create these uh, you know add to uh, because anyways when we transit through them they just what do they do they we are drawn by certain tendencies and these tendencies are drawn back there we may sojourn for some time and that's a natural process and then eventually we'll go to the other worlds and then return back to earth. So, it doesn't really make much of a difference with regard to our real journey. Our journey is here taking place in life. All our progress is taking place in one human body and all our focus should be that how do I fare through this journey in this human body which is given to me. In a certain sense, even... Belief in other lives and other births is not really so crucial to our journey but it helps us to understand that it's a journey where we have started long back and we are going further. To this extent, it does orient us. And we can actually reclaim our parts in previous lives when we get rid of that temporal ignorance and also we can see that what we have been destined to become by the seed of aspiration within us because in the end, Whatever is a man's faith and aspiration, that he tends to become. So with this background, Sri brings us to the main chapter, rebirth and other worlds, karma, the soul and immortality. So what is reborn actually? What really is the soul? So as I said, some believe that soul is same as the life force. So obviously, then they start speaking of buriyatma and you know, ghost and all these are not, nothing to do with soul. Soul is an eternal portion of the divine. That's what we have. Uh, been you know throughout uh, reading and trying to understand and you know we can discover it so being a portion of the divine it remains untouched and unstained by all the papa and punya yes they may they are like things which may drag its feet but the soul itself remains untouched and unstained it has to grow through all these experiences so it is an eternal portion of the divine it's not it doesn't one doesn't the soul doesn't become a bhoot and you know The soul is not uh, like a breath of air with, you know, often people say, uh, soul has left the body when a person dies. So all soul may leave the body before a person dies incidentally. And the soul may linger around after the death if it has lot of experience it it has to gain. Or it may even leave long time before a person physically dies. Um, And during that state, human beings become uh, very mechanical. Sometimes they may be even possessed. There is an instance of somebody here, You know, uh, by the name of Benjamin, who had left his body and uh, he was continuing to work, and mother knew about it, and uh, she had to tell him that look, you know, now you should. Go, because the soul has come with to me, so eventually one day he left the body, this vital being comes to mother and says, "Where is my room? Where is my room?" Because you know he was disposed of, and he wanted his room back. It wanted to continue that 's the vital being in us it 's not the soul of the individual because soul doesn 't uh, act like that. There are people who go completely mad, lost their mind who are possessed uh, by certain forces. Now the soul is very often left these uh, misused and darkened bodies. So it's a far more complex process than we understand. And it's not just as we are told that it leaves one body and enters into another. Well, there is a whole journey. There is a process. So what really happens when a soul leaves the body? It gathers all the imprints and experiences of a particular life. That it carries with it. Um, And then when it carries it, it sojourns to the other worlds. If it is a developed soul, it will go through many more higher worlds. If it is not a developed soul, it will just go into the subtle physical and come back into another material form. So the time of rebirth will be very short. Or if it is a very developed soul, again the time may be very short because it is conscious and wants to come back and take a human body. So there are two conditions in which the rebirth can be very fast. One is when there is no, not much development, it cannot enter into higher worlds because it has not engaged with them in a human life. Early souls, say in an Eskimo or a first human birth, or when it is very developed, it can have a choice to, it has a choice to take up a human body and come back fast because it wants to do The work, uh, you know, which is left incomplete. But otherwise, generally, depending upon the degree with which we have engaged with the worlds, we will make a transition. So, if we have engaged only with vital world, vital pleasures, uh, vital pravartis, then after leaving the body, we will enter into these worlds, purely by a law of affinity. Then during, we will exhaust these tendencies there and then we will go to Other worlds, maybe most people living in the vital will go to a vital paradise. Sometimes these paradises, as I said, are our own creation, that there will be this, there will be that. And we enter into one of these human formations and then we come back. Because obviously we have not completed our evolutionary journey. Sometimes we will go beyond the vital world into the mental and the spiritual world. But that is rare it requires a certain degree of development to engage with these higher worlds and certainly the spiritual worlds. Now, what happens when we enter there? Uh, Well, we may, um, if we have really organized all the parts of our life, uh, including even sometimes the subtle physical, but at least, you know, uh, mind vital, higher vital, maybe to an extent even the central vital or maybe the lower vital converted, All these parts will constitute a whole individual being who remains conscious and who shared the immortality of the soul. Such a being may transit to one of the higher spiritual worlds, stay there and then come take a material body. Now when it takes a material body, it brings all those elements here. But that is a rare thing and it's not a very preferable thing because then there is no evolution. You come back, you do the work and go back. But ordinarily what happens, that one goes into these worlds, gets rid of these sheaths. In the vital world, we get rid of the vital sheath. In the mental world, we get rid of the mental sheath. Then we enter a proper psychic world. It is described beautifully in Savitri, where we enter into the heart of the world mother, where we stay rested beautifully. And during that process, we assimilate the experience of one life. Uh, which is there in the true vital, true mental, true physical, which is like a soul personality which is beginning to form. And then we decide and project that what my next life should be. And this next life, as Shraubhinda reveals to us, is invariably a step further. So all these ideas that a soul can become once again an animal is uh, illogical, simply because once a soul has taken a human body, even the early human bodies, It cannot transit back to a purely animal life which is completely unconscious. Going there will be a completely retrograde step. Whereas the soul is here for an evolutionary journey. Now the pace of evolution may be slow. The pace of evolution may be fast. If it is engaged in yoga, that's a different thing altogether. But it will always be a better and better and better state. But this better and better is from the deeper standpoint. So for instance, one was a king in a particular life. So, better doesn't mean that he'll become an emperor. The better may mean that he has discovered that, okay, being a king, everything is fine, but I can't really progress. Why? Because I'm bound by many things. A king actually has a very life where he, even they cannot express things in public. See that story of Cleopatra, where, you know, when she has to, she decides to take poison and she sends her son away and she tells him, prince never cries. So, they have to live like that. They have to put a whole facade. A king can't just crack a joke in public. He can't stand on the, you know, suddenly stop his car. Uh, Nowadays, king's, I mean, ministers, and say, oh, that person is very nice. Just meet him or start eating, uh, you know, chaat pakodi from a roadside shop. So, there are many restrictions. He cannot be just what he would want to be. And in the next life, he may just become a common village girl or a village boy. Because it discovered that this is where I can really evolve much better. So, this idea of a better life according to our standards, that you know, a poor man becomes a rich man, etc., are redundant. It chooses a birth which is um, good for its next evolution, where it will take into account the unfinished curve of energies. That's where we see the law of karma comes in, which he'll describe in detail. There are certain things, certain tendencies certain directions, certain people it has engaged in but it has never led to any kind of finish so it wants to come back and engage in a much deeper and fuller way to get the full experience and the full uh, understanding Uh, so this is one reason why it would like to uh, assume a body or and rather in its evolution it has met with certain roadblocks, certain tendencies so it will discard them so it's not like you bring the that kind of baggage. You discard certain things. Certain beautiful tendencies which couldn't develop fully. So you'll choose a family, a home where you know it can come and these beautiful tendencies can develop in a beautiful way. As Krishna says in the Gita, when Arjuna says, what about those who have tried but failed? And he says, don't worry they are born in a family of uh, you know devotees uh, and they grow very fast they recover the yoga very fast it doesn't say they are born in a rich person's home One may or may not be so there comes this other idea about rebirth rebirth has two sides a metaphysical and a, um, you know it has to do with justice so metaphysical side is it's a constant learning of the soul through uh, countless lives until it becomes a full fledged psychic being meaning thereby that uh, like a seed, whatever possibility was there, divine possibility that has come. Now once that is emerged, the soul has completed its learning in the high school of nature. It has been stamped as graduate. So it is now free. So once free, it, can, it has a choice either to merge with the supreme or to return back from one of the higher, you know, after leaving the body to do the divine work. Or it can sojourn in one of the higher planes. Like Narada in Vaikuntha and be with its Lord in Shobindo's yoga, be in the subtle physical with Shobindo and you know, affect, influence the world from there, it's possible, or take up a new human body, or join with one of the gods from above. So, all these possibilities are options are available. Once the purpose for which it had entered into ignorance, it takes up all the inconscience and it culminates in the formation of a psychic being, the psychic personality, and then it can either become the bridge or it can, while becoming the bridge, dissolve itself into the supreme. So, these options are available for the uh, soul in the course of its journey. But ordinarily, it will return. So, apart from the metaphysical side, there is this other side about the justice. So, often we talk about reward and punishment and, you know, uh, ka phal ye milega, ka phal ye Obviously these are very popular notions and actually if it is a result of um, your deeds in the past, then naturally in this life when you are punished, you should, immediately it should flash that why you were punished. And it is said that sometime that no, no, it's not like that. That is the surface personality, but the soul toward the end recollects well if it recollects at the end of the journey then it doesn't serve much purpose because it doesn't help to modify our actions uh, in a particular life it just gets assimilated and besides to imagine the creator as you know um being just an accountant or a judge who is busy with you know reading our papas and punyas while he is the author he is the actor he is the scene he is the inspirer he is the motivator he is the becoming so it's almost like he's judging himself. So obviously, that's not how the Creator sees us. At the same time, this idea that if I have done good, um, I've been very honest, I must be rewarded by being very rich, either in you know this life or the other, doesn't stand to reason. Because the right reward that nature gives is whichever direction you have put your energy, that will grow in us. So in an honest man, the moral fiber or the moral strength will grow. Because he has been moral enough to lead a life of honesty, and if a man is in a truthful person, the power of truth will grow. If a man is loved sincerely, the power of love will grow. It doesn't mean that one is loved sincerely; therefore, one will uh, get the same thing. One may be even deceived, and yet the power of love will grow. So, whatever we have, the energy we have put into life. If a person has been cunning, so his capacity for cunning. If a person has dealt a life of falsehood, his capacity for falsehood will increase. So one would say that then, what happens is the result of it. It veils the soul. When falsehood increases in nature, then it veils the soul. Meaning thereby that basically the soul finds it even more difficult to arrive at its uh, evolutionary possibility because it gets more and more veiled, and the natural delight that the soul contains, the natural peace that is veiled, so. If there is a reward and punishment, it is this, that a soul which has, you know, in a particular lifetime, uh, had to give sanction for whatever reason, had to go through a very dark kind of life, then it feels cut off from the very divine presence which holds within itself, which means cut off from the delight and the peace, and that is the most painful thing ever to happen in life. Whereas a soul which has lived according to either the divine law or within I... Uh, or an aspiration towards light, towards freedom, towards truth, towards a true spiritual uh, becoming, uh, towards you know being a servant of the divine, towards love for the divine, towards true knowledge, then it will grow in that direction, which itself is a reward, because it means freedom, vastness, light, beauty, uh, love, bliss, etc., So this is, if at all there is a reward and punishment, it is inner and nothing true with outward. Very often, you know, the mother once reminded uh, that saying from the Bible, that it is very true that it is far more difficult to make a rich man turn to God than to make a camel pass through the eye of the needle. And it is very true. And she reminds it that yes, um, it is very true sometimes being very rich is a curse. Because uh, one gets trapped into it Sometimes outer success is a great tragedy for the soul Because you know one gets so addicted to it There is such a trap of ambition That very difficult to renounce that and come out to step back. So, our whole idea of reward and punishment and of a just mathematical accountant that you know you had done this, so exactly the same thing happens are very popular notions, but they don't uh, match with the facts of existence. And when Surabinda says this, it's on the authority of his own uh, spiritual uh, experience and revelations and realizations. And knowing this journey, which is so difficult. After, you know, one leaves the body and passes through the vital worlds, the mother out of her compassion and with all her occult knowledge, she actually created a passage that if one has a genuine faith in the divine, then after leaving the world, it's like a passage she created. One doesn't have to go through these dark and painful worlds and one transits straight away, which is so wonderful. Um... uh, Indian ancient occult uh, science knew about this So that's why Shrad was done To dissolve the vital sheath Because when one sojourns through the vital worlds It can be very painful If one has led a life which is um, you know, quite dark And sometimes, though there is no retrogression to animal life Some tendencies which are very animal-like Can momentarily take hold of an animal Exhaust itself there and be done with So all these possibilities are there so then, what is good fortune, bad fortune? How things come to us? Of course, the Gita describes it so beautifully. So it is very complex. Often we say that our actions, as if our actions are the only thing. Our actions are always in reference to first a host of things inside. There is a desire. There is the idea. There is the motive. There is the intent. There is the compassion. There is the feeling. All these are. Simultaneously acting, often mixed together. That's why the Gita says karma gahanagati. So it's not like this action was there, therefore this result will be there. And the cosmic um, consciousness takes into account everything together. It has its own way. In fact, anybody who enters the cosmic consciousness can understand things like that. Then one doesn't judge by appearances, one knows the entire movement that is taking place inside. And based on that, the next life. Uh, proceeds. Besides, what we'll meet outwardly is not just about us, it's about so many things together. Let's say that there is a, a parent who are aspiring for a soul, uh, which is, uh, you know, uh, turned towards the divine or it it want, they want a soul which is truly a beautiful and noble soul and now there is a soul which is seeking to take birth and it enters there. Now, but parents' aspiration is one aspect. There are many sides of the parent. So when it enters into, a you know, ensolement or embodiment takes place, well, the parents may actually pass their shadows sometimes. So all kinds of things are possible and uh, it's a real adventure in that sense. But yes, all we are secure because all this is taking place in the vast penumbra of the divine consciousness. And this is always from within a divine prompting, divine hand which is leading the soul. We may not look at, understand it. Shubhinda says very beautifully in Savitri, Alive in a dead rotating universe, we whirl not here upon a casual globe. So, even through the tangled anarchy of fate, even through the bitterness of death and fall, an outstretched hand is felt upon our lives. It is near us in unnumbered bodies and births. It keeps in its unslackening grasp safe, it keeps safe in its unslackening grasp, the Godhead promised to our struggling souls the crown of conscious immortality. So the soul is immortal but it has forgotten itself, it discovers that it is immortal um, and it grows in its personality. So it's not a static soul and this is the first discovery that one has to make. When it has discovered its immortality, it can lend that also to our mental being. So, this idea that this personality takes birth, no. Some portions may become immortalized. For instance, Beethoven's hands. Mother speaks of hands of Beethoven, which came to her to play music. and uh, Because he used to play music and his hands had become so conscious. So, some of these musicians which have really led a very exalted, um, not life, but uh, in in that particular field they were really they got uplifted their soul was uplifted in a certain way and those movement those activities can share something of the immortality of the soul so first immortality is immortality of the soul second immortality is immortality of the personality of the inner being, not the surface personality, it's never that which is immortal, but the inner being and the final crown of immortality will be immortality of the physical being, which is the effort of a, uh, it is still unrealized in its fullness, but it is when the supramental manifestation uh, arrives towards its penultimate culmination. So this is the background and now we can read uh, some passages so, we spoke about this sevenfold ignorance, and um, we have to start by getting rid of the egoistic ignorance. Now, this is the important part what is the logical rationale of rebirth? It is through the conscious individual being that this recovery is possible from the inconscient to the superconscient. It is in him that the evolving consciousness becomes organized and capable of awaking to its own reality. So we all have entered here and the Divine Mother has come here for this great divine project. We forget it and we start pursuing other aims because we have to go through that process. We develop other ambitions, desires. But all this it absorbs inside. It drinks experience like a strengthening wine till it discovers that, oh, I am here for this. For this purpose, to become the bridge between the higher and the lower. And then it, uh, you know, life changes. Or rather, let me say, then life begins. Because before that, we are like dead people who believe that we are alive. The immense importance of the individual being which increases as he rises in the scale is the most remarkable and significant fact of a universe. We started without consciousness and without individuality in an undifferentiated nascence. So, inconscient is just like a mass. So, the soul starts creating the individuality. So, the original impulsion, e ham bahushyam, the one to become the many, this is what starts when individuality starts. Before that, one is just a part of a mass. And that's why people with a developed soul often feel like a stranger amidst their surroundings, where others are very comfortable. Because, you know, this individuality is beginning to take shape and take form. This importance can only be justified if the self as individual is no less real than the self as cosmic being or spirit and both are powers of the eternal. It is only so that can be explained the necessity for the growth of the individual and his discovery of himself as a condition for the discovery of the cosmic self and consciousness and of the supreme reality. If we adopt this solution, this is the first result, the reality of the persistent individual. So what persists is not just some mental formation or a knot of energy, but a real soul, a real portion of the divine. But it grows, it's not static. But from that first consequence, the other result follows that rebirth of some kind is no longer a possible machinery, which may or may not be accepted, it becomes a necessity and inevitable outcome of the root nature of our existence, which is out of inconscience, consciousness must emerge. So there are these seedlings already implanted there, which are like pulleys. As the soul emerges, why? Because it is naturally attracted to the divine. Otherwise, inconscient will not stir. There is in it this presence of the divine as individual seedlings. So just as a little seed is drawn toward the sun, So these souls as seedlings are direct attracted toward the divine. And what are the roots it takes will come subsequently when he speaks about the spiritual evolution. And because it is attracted, there is a pull and it is drawn despite the inconscience. And as it is drawn, something of the inconscience begins to become conscious through these various lives. So this is the purpose. Birth then is is a necessity of the manifestation of the purusha on on the physical plane But his birth Whether the human or any other Cannot be in this world order In isolated accident As some religions uh, believe Or a sudden excursion of a soul Into physicality Without any preparing past to it Or any fulfilling hereafter So if we really talk about soul And taking a human body By its nature it should be rebirth To believe that suddenly It enters a physical body And then it is either trapped for good or depending upon belief, its belief system, uh, it is one day picked up in, on the day of judgment. So obviously that is too childish, too uh, puerile a thought to even be uh, really considered. The soul is not bound by the formula of mental humanity. It did not begin with that and will not end with it. It had a pre-human past, it has a superhuman future. So it passes through these earlier forms, um, especially these higher life forms. Uh, animal forms where it becomes more and more some kind of an individual soul formation begins to emerge before that it is largely soul of a species but especially with these mammals and you know higher animals there is this tendency uh, for an individual soul that's why one can see some touch of the soul qualities in in these animals like cats certain cat dogs horses cows elephants and uh, that's why you know killing them is not considered something nice uh, chicken is different but these um, uh, developed animals are a very different breed altogether some of them can carry a conscious soul individuality and equally it doesn't end with human life it goes further into um, you know it has to embody a godlike nature which is what it is here for then uh, we read some portions from rebirth. So it leaves the body, goes through different worlds, enters into an assimilative rest where it absorbs the essence of the experience, converts it into soul values. What it means is we can understand in even in one lifetime. When we are going through a certain experience at a point of time, we judge it, oh horrible, oh this is really... Um, bad, this is terrible, sometimes very pleasant, very good. But over the years, its real value becomes apparent to us, to anybody who is conscious. We discover that, okay, this was necessary as a link towards this. Sometimes we may discover that, oh, I wasted my time in thinking that, well, I am enjoying life. And sometimes we realize that all that pain that I went through, it changed into a greater capacity for joy and made us stronger and wiser. So, then Sri describes all our sujón. Eventually it goes after passing through the vital and mental worlds. As I said, there is no completely fixed role. Many will go to vital world and come back. But those with a developed mind, those who have formed contact with the beings of the higher world, will go there even they may be in their company. Because it's, it's a kind of what relation we have formed with these beings while here. Those who have formed relation with dark demonic beings, they get trapped there. I remember meeting a kind of occultist and uh, he came and uh, I saw actually he performed a kind of magic where uh, magic in the sense, now I understand the process, I was very small, uh, nine years old or something, where he changed the taste of the cup of tea uh, just by suggestion. And I asked him how it is done. He said it's a vidya. Vidya means not vidya, my vidya, but a kind of, you know, uh, a kind of knowledge. So, I said, uh, can you teach it to anyone? He said, yes, but if I teach it to someone, I have to teach it to someone, otherwise I will not get free. So, I asked him, what does it mean? He said, after death, I will be drawn to these these beings who have taught me. They are not physical people. They will not set me free. So, I have to teach it to someone. So, I was of course a little... Taken aback, I didn't like, you know, what he was saying. He said, "And naturally, I will not ever even impart it to you because you, you are not supposed to receive this. He could see something that, you know. Uh, but there are people who go and learn this kind of a dark occult. Black magic, as it is said. Now, after death, they get they are drawn, they formed a contact. Whereas there are people who have, uh, well, let's say, that formed a contact with the higher divine beings. So they are drawn to their worlds. It's a uh, fact, once Mother... When somebody came to meet her, when the person went away, she said, you know, uh, all through when this man was here, Durga was here standing behind him. And then Champak said, yes, he is a devotee of Durga and really worships her." So depending upon our contact with these beings, we go. But eventually we will not live there unless, I mean, exceptional soul has aspired only for that. But that's a kind of incomplete evolution. One will come back to complete the full journey. So, this is the progression. And this evolution can take place only upon earth. Uh, The soul doesn't evolve in vital and mental worlds. It can, if it has reached a very great height in the higher mental world, it can from there take a leap into the supreme. It's possible, but most of the time it will have to come back. And then he speaks about that, uh, reincarnation is commonly supposed to have two aspects metaphysical and moral an aspect of spiritual necessity an aspect of cosmic justice and ethical, ethical discipline so that we have already discussed and shubindo uh, does not accept the idea that it's all about papa and punya and reward and punishment he says these are very summary popular notions and offer no foothold to the philosophical reason and no answer to a search for the true significance of life and very powerfully says a vast world system which exists only as a convenience for turning endlessly on a wheel of ignorance with no issue except a final chance of stepping out of it is not a world with any real reason for existence a world which serves Only as a school of sin and virtue and consists of a system of rewards and whippings does not make any better appeal to our intelligence. The soul or spirit within us, if it is divine, immortal or celestial, cannot be sent here solely to be put to school for this kind of crude and primitive moral education. If it enters into the ignorance, it must be because there is some larger principle or possibility of its being that has to be worked out through the ignorance. So this is the uh, most important thing that he reminds us about karma. It's not about reward and punishment, of course. uh, There is something like that, uh, that every energy holds its course and comes back. Uh, Also it's like if you put your hand in fire, it burns you. It's not a punishment, it's a learning. It was ignorance that I put my hand, I have learnt. And uh, it's also true that an energy which has been released into the world tends to come back. But it tends to come back so that that part in us can get refined. That's why it comes back. It it comes back attracted. So there are events which continue to chase a person. Why? Because he has to ultimately pick up that part. uh, Look at it with utter sincerity and courage and offer it or whatever way he has to learn to transmute it so there is always a refinement a learning which is going on so and it's again not a reward and punishment but a constant growth and learning and then uh, if at all there has to be the nature of the energy, so must be the nature of the results. The good must bring good results, the evil must bring evil results. The second is that the master word of karma is justice and therefore good deeds must bear the fruit of happiness and good fortune and evil deeds must bear the fruit of sorrow, misery and ill fortune. This is how we understand cosmic justice. But we have first to observe that a large chain of karma is only an outward machinery and cannot be elevated to a greater position as the sole and absolute determinant of the life workings of the cosmos. Unless the cosmos is itself entirely mechanical in its character. So, this cannot be the whole truth. Karma can only be one of the processes it uses for that purpose. Our spirit, our self must be greater than its karma. So, there is a Mahavaki in Savitri The soul in man is greater than his fate. Freedom walks with every turn of fate. So this is what we have to remember. There is law, but there is also spiritual freedom. Law and processes are one side of our existence and their reign is over our outer mind, life and body. For those are mostly subject to the mechanisms of nature. So anytime even here, a higher determinism can intervene. A power from the mind can enter and change the vital determinism. And a greater spiritual power can annul, make it very minimized. And mother goes on to say, grace can completely annul karma. So, it, it is a hierarchy of determinisms with which we are dealing. It's not a very simple mechanism of good deed and bad, bad deed, as we understand. And um, the secret will is not mechanical but spiritual. The guidance comes from an intelligence which may use mechanical processes but is not their subject. And uh, then he says that, yes, action is resultant of the energy of the being, but this energy is not of one soul kind. So there are many things involved in every action. So, if it is true that the nature of the energy put forth must determine the nature of the result or outcome All these differences in the nature of the energy have to be taken into account. An energy of seeking for truth and knowledge must have as its natural outcome, its reward or recompense, if you will, a growth into truth, an increase in knowledge and energy... Used for falsehood should result in an increase of falsehood in the nature and a deeper immersion in the ignorance. An energy of pursuit of beauty should have as its outcome an increase in the sense of beauty, the enjoyment of beauty or if so directed in the beauty and harmony of the life and nature. A pursuit of physical health, strength and capacity should create the strong man or the successful athlete. And energy put out in the pursuit of ethical good must have its outcome or reward or recompense an increase in virtue. The happiness of ethical growth. So it's, it's about this way it, it works. So and finally, he closes with this. But if a constant development of being by a developing cosmic experience is the meaning and the building of a new personality in a new birth is the method, then any persistent or complete memory of the past life or lives might be a chain and a serious obstacle. So that's why they are removed. If it was reward and punishment, we should remember. Then perhaps in this life we will not even... Do that act But it's not There is a reason why it's taken away Because It'll be very difficult to handle I mean in one life One family is good enough Imagine you have 4-5 or families From the previous lives That you remember How difficult it is going to be So he reminds us It would be a force For prolonging the old temperament Character Preoccupations and a tremendous burden Hampering the free development of the new personality And its formulation of new experience That's why it is removed A clear and detailed memory of past lives Now, of course, there is a past life memory But it's not like I was this, I did this and a hundred things they are, they are psychic memories The moments when we had the a psychic moment in our life An act of great sacrifice An act of great courage and these moments are the one which tag along with us and sometimes along with the memory, the associated form comes in. But it doesn't mean that if you discover you were Achilles, it doesn't mean that you remember everything that Achilles did. So that is something which doesn't take place. We will remember many things but not that. A clear and detailed memory of past, loves, hatreds, rancors, attachments, connections would be equally a stupendous inconvenience, for it would bind the reborn being to a useless repetition or a compulsory continuation of his surface past and stand heavily in the way of his bringing out new possibilities from the depths of the spirit. This consummation of a triple immortality, immortality of the nature, Completing the essential immortality of the spirit and the psychic survival of death might be the crown of rebirth and a momentous indication of the conquest of the material uh, inconscience and ignorance, but the true immortality would still be the eternity of the spirit. The physical survival could only be relative, terminable at will, a temporal sign of the spirit's victory here over death and matter. Meaning thereby that as things stand even in a supramental body one what it means is that one has a choice whether to keep a particular body or to discard it as will and of course the body will be of a very different character and all that will follow in the next uh, few chapters that we are still to read namaste
1: and moving on to the questions, we have a question from uh, Pramitaji and she is asking the ritual of uh, dan at Gaya, does it have any significance or it is also a formation of human mind? What was Sri Aurobindo and mother's perspective on it? Kindly uh, throw some light on it.
0: So with regard to Shrad, it was done primarily to dissolve the vital sheath. And uh, Pindadan at Gaya is part of that process, uh, you know, because uh, the reason why the Gaya came in was uh, based on a story of Gaya Sur. And, uh, you know, it's a long story, but at the end of it, it is, he was a devotee of Lord Vishnu. And it seems that Lord Vishnu put his foot over him uh, and that's how he dissolved. But he said that whoever comes and, uh, uh, you know, offers prayers for the dead here should get uh, liberated so that's how the gaya story came into and there is the feet of uh, lord vishnu and uh, the whole gaya story and uh, the place where you know below that uh, river is flowing ganges is flowing but you know that is uh, that was obviously behind all these stories there are a lot of symbols and uh, this is how human beings um, through external rituals, try to do things. Not that these rituals didn't carry a meaning when done with lot of faith and with people with tremendous occult knowledge. Uh, I have seen um, a couple of uh, shrads being done. Uh, it does draw the vital entities into the atmosphere to that extent. Uh, it's very difficult to say which vital entities come because it's all a mixed up thing there. But it does draw the vital entities through the pin. It becomes like a means to attract them. And then when you um, do mantra vidhi, it's like um, a, a well-known occult process. And then you offer it, then the Pitra, which was roaming in the vital world, enters it and then it takes a transit to the higher world. So there is a logical process behind it. But this is uh, there is no need to do it. Actually, the mother, like everything evolves. So as human consciousness evolves, we discover new and better ways. It's like, you know, uh, 500 years back, we used to do leeching as part of medical practice. But now we don't do it. Uh, tomorrow we may discover that, you know, light may heal us. Uh, sound therapy may come. So, same way, Mother and Sri have brought in lot of new truths and one of them is that if people leave their body, then no need to do these rituals. There is, it is enough if few persons who really loved the uh, the departed, they sit together and send their thoughts of love and peace. Of course they did uh, mention that you know there is a period of transition which may be 4 days, 10 days, 13 days, 1 month. Maybe you know maximum of a few months. So one thing is for sure that doing it year after year has no meaning. I mean then we have to say there is no rebirth. Because if the person is still transiting for years, sometimes people do it for their lifetime. You know, it's more to uh, our own guilt we take care of, is taken care of rather than actually. But if we really believe in rebirth, then whom are we really trying to over years, 10 years, 20 years? I've seen people all their life they are doing shrad for uh, the departed. So that of course is uh, a kind of machinery to, uh, you know, after all uh, people who are doing all the uh pandas and all that. They also need to send their children to good schools. So it's okay. But <laughs> no, turn it into absolute truth. It's obviously illogical. So, what is important is that ultimately, if you see logically, there is one way of through the occult, but there is a more direct spiritual way. So, there was always these two lines of human thought. It's like astrology you're trying to manipulate the forces in the universe. Uh, astrologically, you're trying to take care of Rahu, Ketu, and everything. So, it's an occult science. But a higher way always was the spiritual way. So, instead of going through all this paraphernalia, Catch the one who is the origin of everything. So to invoke the divine presence uh, with those who really loved him and then to send thoughts of love with a prayer to the divine is a direct and very powerful means. And that's what the mother and Shurubhindev recommended. So when somebody leaves the body, of course this is a very special place. Uh, mother has spoken about it. There are instances. There's a whole itihas of the ashram that whoever leaves the body here By whoever doesn't mean anybody and everybody. But you know, who has come here with that spirit of the yoga, uh, goes straight to Sri world. He doesn't transit through the other world. So uh, he said it was something like what was done in Kashi, you know. So uh, that's directly from the mother. So it's not like a belief system. And she explains what is the rationale. If you are attached to Sri if you love the mother, then why would you even go to any other worlds? Uh, As I was saying that if you are attached to a higher being, you go there and live in his company. So, if the higher being is capable of liberating you into freedom, we will do that. But here, if one loves uh, Madurai and Bindo, then one goes there. If one loves a particular deity, So it's quite likely that after the birth, one will go into a sojourn with the deity. And depending upon what the deity is, if the deity belongs to really one of those real high worlds, one may from there pass into moksha if that deity can open the door. But that is very, very unlikely unless it's directly one of those over guardians of the sun. With most, there will be a brief sojourn and one one will come back. That's why the Gita says that, you know, people who uh, do the sacrifice for... um, Heavenly good, they go to heavens where they meet the gods and then they come back, back to earth. Because they cannot really liberate us. They can give us a nice uh, welcome, which is okay, post-mortem sojourn, but then we have to come back. So, um, uh, with Mother and Shurubindo, if one really loves them, if one has spent a life seeking the divine in whatever form, then all this paraphernalia is not required. And even for those who have not As I said The mother said If you have faith uh, And some love for the divine You go through a different passage That is she, she has created it And even if that is not there And somebody has you know Died under very dark conditions That what is important is Those who loved him Gather and pray And invoke the divine presence And send their thoughts of love And peace to that person And crying etc. Is the worst thing Because then you pull Already somebody is departed And he has to go further And it's like exercising a pull back to earth Which can be so painful to the departed Because his journey is inevitable now forward But he's pulled back He's hovering in this atmosphere And he cannot actually enter a human body So it is like torturing the person So crying and expressing grief is never a good thing One should set the person free as the last act of love And send him off with love and peace in the heart and prayer to the divine, that his journey may be saved. Nothing else is really required. Yes.
1: Uh, namaste, Alokda. Ha, namaste. So, so, with the descent of the supramental force, as the evolutionary march progresses, uh, the chances of actualizing, say, the inherent potentiality of the past lives is also increased. And so, because there is a sense of journey, uh, does it mean that the likelihood of uh, success through conscious evolution and failure Uh, If we are not able to break through the veil, both are increased uh, simultaneously in the collective. And uh, does that, to some extent at least, uh, explain the accelerated churn and the spirit of adventure and the collective chaos? Um, Yeah.
0: Yes, the supermind is meant to and it has in fact will hasten and put us on evolution fast forward. That is for fact. And that is why both extremes have become active. It is also true the increasing confusion because the greater the possibility, the greater the shadow tries to overpower it. So it is also true. But as far as the individual soul is concerned, it is going to make this evolution much faster and the whole journey a lot lot more safer if one takes on to it. Suddenly, it is meant to do that and it is doing that. World over, That's why we see all over the world this sudden outburst of seeking. Uh, you know, there is a breaking free from the past forms and there is a seeking of new spiritual expressions. So, all that is happening, that increased thirst for the true, the beautiful... But yes, there is the resistance, uh, always the vital forces are there. But Mother said that there is a whole section of humanity which uh, resists the new consciousness and, uh, you know, it is uh, tied to the animal kind and it will collapse. So that's uh, another part of the story. But that happens always. Paritranaya, sadhunam, vinashaya, It collapses because it's like an aborted attempt at being human. But that's something which the Divine undertakes but uh, for most individuals uh, and at least for many uh, they definitely the it's an evolution fast forwards little effort brings great results
1: yeah uh, kalpana ji please you can go ahead please with your question yeah uh, thank you so much uh, there are a couple of questions uh, you know uh, doubts in my mind one thing one thing uh, One thing is that what is the kind of aspiration yes. that one can have uh, at the time of one's death? Uh, uh, that's one question. Uh, I have heard that there are some people who, you know, people at the ashram who consciously participate in the process of uh, death. I mean, I've heard this now. What does this mean? This was the uh, part of it. Another question is that when the soul... Or the psychic being decides to take a birth. I mean, whether it decides or if it's pre-decided, whatever. I mean, I'm not sure about that. I've heard that it takes aspects of the vital, aspects from the vital world, aspects from the physical world. Uh, That is the thing. And then uh, I just would like to know what does that mean? And whether you can actually choose. I mean, uh, suppose you have an aspiration and in this life, it's not completed. So, can you actually aspire to have a a, a a birth where, you know, those aspects of your development can happen? Are, are these okay. things possible? Should we be doing it? Yeah.
0: So, I'll take it one by one. The first question is about the moment of death. Well, the moment of death is a moment of intense concentration and then the Gita speaks about it. Wherever the thought of man and his consciousness is fixed at that point of time that door very readily opens. So, it's so important that, you know, at that point of time, we remember the eternal in whatever forms. So, we go on a rapid uh, mode. But, again, Shribindu reminds us that, uh, well it, That moment We will remember Only if we have Led a life of Remembrance of the divine So it's like Very difficult At a moment of death To suddenly remember The eternal If one has led a life Of a very You know One is wrath And involved And attached With all kinds of things So this one aspect So basically It depends upon The way of life That we have led With our thoughts Largely fixed on the eternal Or our thoughts Engaged all the time In transient things Now the second aspect Of the nature That the soul takes up Well the soul Puts forth the three purushas in Savitri. We have the description of the triple soul forces. So it puts forth the three purushas: the mental, the vital, and the uh, physical purusha out of itself. So you know, it's it is from within outward. So it prepared the nature. Now once these purushas come, we they start creating the subliminal being or the inner personality, inner being of man. Now this inner being is open to the universal. So depending upon the soul need, they will draw elements from the universal, sometimes even beings. It's quite uh, possible it happens. And they draw those things into the constitution of our inner being and the subliminal personality. And then the outer personality is formed as one develops. So this is the process from within outwards. That the soul takes a human birth and then it puts forth these three purushas. It can do that even before entering into contact with the human body. Uh, sometime that in uh, entry into the human body uh, you know at least it is um, a few months while in the womb five six months but very it it's not a contact it's like it has seen okay this is the body and this is the family where i want to be born but the actual contact may take even a few years later on maybe three years four years seven years when it 14 years sometime when it actually enters and when it act enters that time the human being does go through the child does go through certain experience which give a hint so sometimes it may not ever enter so there is a psychic being uh, not a psychic being but a soul which presides over it's like this is my house but i have never lived in it so all these are possible um, things when the soul takes a human birth now with regard to um, you know what happens in the ashram yes uh, not only really ashram all over the world i have seen people who have left their bodies very consciously in the ashram it is it is facilitated of course because most people who have come here they have come to lead a uh, you know life of yoga uh, and besides you are surrounded by her presence and you know um, the way the ashram when a person leaves you put mother's music it's just built in the system and uh, most people they have at least to some degree have got detached from uh, outer things and they have focused on the Divine Mother. And I am myself aware of a number of instances which I have mentioned in my book, Death, Dying and Beyond. Uh, quite a few instances where a person, you know, leaves very beautiful. But it can be done anywhere. I mean, uh, Divine is everywhere. And it's a question of uh, how one has... Uh, formed a relation with the divine. So, this is how the whole process is. As to unfinished curves of evolution, unfinished aspiration, yes, very much. And that's why sometimes people who are terminally ill or you know, uh, who are um, uh, you know, approaching that moment, instead of uh, reminding them uh, about the past and focusing them on the body and its illness, I tell them to imagine the future. So when they conceive the future, what they would want to be, how they would want to come, it is already helping, it is becoming a formation. While they are still in the body, the soul is absorbing all this. And so it definitely helps. Even unfinished curves of evolution, they all help in eventually coming back and it helps in creating the new personality and circumstances and the environment in which one comes. So suddenly those unfinished lines uh, we do come back and touch them at some point to complete them by completing them i mean whatever ultimate experience we have to get from them yes
1: so thank you so much sir for clarifying our doubts and with this we have reached the end of today's lecture now we will observe a minute of silence and then we can call it a day